0: joy and a delight it is to uh, be able to uh, stand in my pastor's pulpit on the Lord's Day. Thank you again for the gracious invitation to, uh, to do that and to bring you greetings from Southwestern Seminary uh, and uh, also just to say how thankful I am for what the Lord uh, has been doing in the life of our church. I've had the joy of preaching here once before. Some of you will recall the uh, Sunday before we voted in our pastor as lead teaching pastor here. And uh, we were not church members at that time, but we have since uh, become so. And I have, could not express to you my excitement and gratitude for Drew Erickson and for Travis Avenue. I know there are a lot of wonderful churches across the Metroplex, but I'm very thankful that the Greenway family is able to call Travis Avenue Baptist Church our church home. And uh, I'm thankful to have my wife here and our son and daughter and my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law who are not married to each other. I figured that one out, but, um, but it is good to be here. And uh, when I asked uh, our pastor, what would you like for me to do? Do you want me to just do something outside of your series? Do you want me to kind of continue your series? He said, just jump right in and go for it. And I said, all right. So Acts 13 is where we're at. Acts 13, beginning in verse four, we're going to go down to verse 12. And I'm preaching this morning on this subject, on mission with God, on mission with God. With God, Acts thirteen, beginning in verse four, going through verse twelve. Let me just invite you to follow along in your hearts as I share this word from God's Word, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. The Scripture says, "So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant." When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elimas and said, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind. You will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of our Lord, and thanks be to God this morning. It is interesting, we pick up here in this passage, the first instance of the church being sent out, if you will, on mission, missionaries having been sent out. Two weeks ago, our pastor looked at the church in Antioch and read the first three verses where we see the sending forth of that first missionary team, Barnabas and Saul. And so we pick up here in verse four with what they actually did. What was the expression or the incarnation, as it were, of the mission that God had given to them as ones who had been sent out by God. This is an important point because it is a demonstration of the fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen in the book of Acts, going back to Uh, verse eight of chapter one, where he said that, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Of course, that's Pentecost, Acts two and following. Judea and Samaria, Acts eight, with the persecution that Saul unleashed that distributed the church at Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And to the uttermost part of the earth, we see the beginning of that fulfillment here in Acts 13. We see mission happening out of a commitment to missions. And so it's interesting what they did here is an example for us in terms of how we ought to think about our mission. In fact, you've heard our pastor say, our church, our mission is to help those who are far from God connect to Jesus. We have a mission as a body of Christ. And that's important to keep before us because at times when we think about mission or missions, we can oftentimes think about something done by somebody else somewhere else. We think about missionaries as heroes of the faith, thousands of people who are serving around the world to connect people to Jesus Christ with groups like our International Mission Board or across America with our North American Mission Board, implanting new churches and revitalizing existing churches. But have you stopped to realize that you, my friend, if you are a believer in Jesus, you have a mission to live sent? you've been sent to make a difference in your world, beginning right here in this wonderful city we call home, Fort Worth, Texas. And so what does it mean to live on mission and how can God use us in mission to make the difference he wants us to make? In fact, some of you may be here this morning actually wondering, Well, I don't think I'm that great of a Christian and you know, missionaries are like super Christians. They're the ones who are like the the heroes. Can God really use me to make a difference? Well, I believe the answer to that is an unequivocal yes. But the way that happens is by aligning ourselves, what we see that these believers did here in this first instance of mission. And there are a couple of things I would commend to you in terms of if you wanna be used by God to make a difference, what steps you need to take. One is you need to cultivate a commitment to apply the Word of God in and to your life. To cultivate a commitment to apply God's Word in and to your life. Verse four, the Bible says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. That's an important point to make because at the tail end of verse three, we see the sending out from the church, verse 3, that after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them out, they being the church, but even though the church sends people out on mission, it is ultimately the Holy Spirit who leads and guides and directs and empowers believers to fulfill the mission. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed, they preached the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John, that's John Mark, as their assistant. This was not unfamiliar territory whenever we see uh, Paul going forth, the first place he would stop would go to preach at the Jewish synagogues. The gospel came uh, through the Jews and is for the Jews. And so that was the pattern here in that time. And uh, when they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, uh, a magus, somebody who was in the magical arts, astrology, these kind of things, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, Bar is a a tag that means son, so literally a son of Jesus. And we'll see the irony of that in just a moment here in what Paul pronounces to this uh, sorcerer. He was with the proconsul, the the political leader of that area, a man named Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the Word of God. He wanted to hear the Word of God. Now, uh, he was not at the synagogue, Uh, he was not a, a, a Jew in that sense. He was a Roman official, a ruler, if you will. But he wanted to hear the Word of God from these messengers. Now, why was that? I believe it was because it was clear that with Barnabas and Saul, not only was there a commitment in terms of proclaiming the word, but there was an integrity being carried out in their living the word. And it came through the commitment to the discipline of ordinary obedience. Now, we see that again going back to how they were called there in the first couple of verses of Acts 13. Look back at verse one here in Acts thirteen, where the Bible says, "Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and we have Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul." Verse two: As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, that is to say, as they were engaging in the ordinary disciplines of grace they, they were involved in the regular expectations of being a believer in Jesus that they, they weren't looking for some supernatural existential encounter they were just seeking to be found faithful where God had placed them that they were doing the things that they knew every Christian every believer ought to do placing yourself in a position to hear the word of God in order to obey the word of God And it was in that context that the Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They were already manifesting an ordinary obedience to the things of God, to the word of God. And therefore they were in position to hear that when God would speak, when God would call, they were able to be yielded and to respond. There was not just a proclamation on their lips but, but there was the carrying out of the word in their lives. And I believe it was that which gave the power to what they were doing as they went to proclaim to where there were people who found out what was going on and they wanted to hear what Barnabas and Saul had to say. You know, in a lot of our training, Over the years in evangelism, we've placed a lot of emphasis upon trying to figure out how to get people who are far from God to want to listen to us, to want to hear from us, and we've developed all kinds of techniques and tactics and other things, but I wonder sometimes if part of our challenge is that we have not placed enough emphasis upon the importance of ordinary obedience to the Word of God in our lives as those who God desires to use to be His witnesses. And I don't have to tell you, uh, the, the need for this in terms of the witness to a watching world has never been greater because if you want to know why Christianity, let's just say, uh, is finding itself in a challenging place in the North American cultural context, just jump on social media and look at what is happening with Christian Twitter, Christian Facebook, Christian Instagram, Christian, whatever your social media platform is. Friends, there's just a lot of crazy out there. And in fact, in some cases, I believe, we're seeing things that are falling under the umbrella or the panoply of Christians and Christianity that I believe are actually antithetical to New Testament Christianity and to the gospel of Christ. And even by times coming from people who will have all the platitudes and all the verbiage of, oh, well, I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, infallible, indestructible, insurpassable, indescribable word of God. And and man, we can verbally profess all of our confidence and belief in scripture, but may I submit to you that none of that means anything if it doesn't translate into an obedience to and a submission to the actual claims and teachings of scripture. You know, it, it doesn't mean much, how much I can pontificate about how I believe the Bible if I have absolutely no commitment to living out what the Bible actually calls me to be and to do as a Christian. And that's one of the issues I think in terms of the hypocrisy and the duplicity at times that I think is hindering our work and our witness is people hear what we say with our lips, but our lives end up contradicting the very things we claim to believe. these things ought not to be so. It's not just that obedience is for the super Christians. In fact, I wonder if you never heard another message again, if you never heard another Bible study again, if you never heard another teaching series again, Would you be able to have enough scripture in you to live out for the rest of your life? Or to put it a different way, I wonder if part of our challenge is not that we need more instruction because we are so advanced that we've already fulfilled all the basics of Christianity. I wonder if our challenge is we have tried to forget the basics and and, and we're failing in some very key areas in terms of what it means to truly worship God, to love my fellow believers, to love lost people, to walk in holiness, to give sacrificially to support the work of the church, to share my faith as I go, just just those six things. Could you imagine the difference in our world, in our state, in our city, if professing believers just got serious about living out the teachings of the word of God every day? We would see the kind of transformation in our city that we are praying for as a church. And it's not just for those folks out there somewhere, it's for us. Do we really have a desire to know and to apply the Word of God in our lives? Because the fact of the matter is, when we get serious about that, there's going to be challenge. There's going to be opposition, criticism, persecution, whatever term you want to use for it. It was true then. I mean, we see it here. Even where this, there's this one who wants to hear the word, this proconsul, there's this sorcerer, this astrologer, this, this magician type who is trying to turn him away. And that's what leads me to my second point. It's not just if we're gonna serve God, if we're gonna be used by God for mission, that we've gotta have a desire to apply the word of God to our lives. We, we've gotta consecrate ourselves, to, to dedicate ourselves to relying upon God's power, no matter the cost. We've we've got to consecrate ourselves, dedicate ourselves to relying upon God's power, no matter what the cost. So you see what's being set up here. You've got the sorcerer and you've got the missionary. And so verse nine, but Saul also called Paul, by the way, I won't chase this rabbit for time's sake, but Uh, Paul is not the name that Saul gets after he's converted. He had that name all along. Paul is simply the Greek name, Saul is the Hebrew name, but they've always been one and the same person. It's just like if you go to a different country, your name is gonna have a different expression if it's in German or Russian or Spanish or French, but you're the same person. Same thing's true here. Saul is Paul, Paul is Saul. Fill with the Holy Spirit which, of course, is the absolute essential for any of us if we're gonna be used as instruments in the hands of the Redeemer. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is critically important for us. He stared straight at Elimas and said, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil. Remember, his name bar Jesus, son of Jesus, but Paul says, no, you're not a son of Jesus, you're a son of the devil. You, who is an enemy of all that is right, Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? By the way, this is, I believe, as important of a task for the believer in confronting false teaching and error in the power of the Spirit as much as it is being like gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Remember, Jesus did turn over the tables of the money changers in the temple when they were perverting and corrupting the house of God for selfish, man-centered aims. There are times to pray and there are times to proclaim. There are times to be strong and to speak up. And that's what Paul does here. And he says, now look, the Lord's hand is against you. If you notice, if you do a study of the Lord's hand in scripture, the Lord's hand is either with us or it is against us. And you always want the Lord's hand to be with you and not against you. And here as a result of the Lord's power being displayed in and through Paul's word, Paul says, you are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time, which of course was extraordinarily significant for somebody who made his living by the heavenly bodies trying to divine things from the sun and the moon and the stars and all those astrological signs. Paul says, you're not gonna see any of that for a while. It's gonna be gone. He's gonna be blind, similarly to the way that Paul was blind after he confronted Jesus on the Damascus, was confronted by Jesus on the Damascus road, and of course, immediately a mist and darkness fell on him. Went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And then verse 12, when he, the proconsul, saw what happened, the proconsul believed. But notice this last phrase, not because he saw the signs and the wonders. He believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. There are a lot of folks who will say things like, you know, I wish we could just have some real magical, mystical experience. You know, if God would just write John three sixteen in the clouds, people would repent and believe. No, they wouldn't. That was tried once, you know. Go back to Luke 16 where the rich man there in eternal torment says, if you'll just raise Lazarus and send him to be a from the grave evangelist, my family will get saved. And Father Abraham says, no, they won't. If they won't hear Moses and the prophets, they won't believe if a dead man comes back. Here, we're being reminded of the sufficiency, the real sufficiency of the word to accomplish its intended task. Sufficiency is not just something we profess, but that we demonstrate in our obedience when we actually share the gospel, the good news. When we tell people that God loves them, but that their sin separates them from God. And that they can do nothing in and of themselves to overcome their sin, which is why God sent Jesus, his only begotten son, to live the life they could never live, to die the death they could never die, so that all who turn from their sin and trust Jesus will be saved. I mean, that's the heart of our mission. That's the heart of our confession. That's the heart of what it means to be the church called Travis Avenue. It's not just a message to go to the nations, even though it is that. It's a message that's needed right down Berry Street and right down Hemp Hill. And right down Seminary Drive and James Avenue and McCart Avenue and in fact we exist to do everything we can to make it as humanly impossible for anyone to die in our city and to go into a Christless eternity because they never had a chance to hear about Jesus and to give their lives to him. That's what it's all about. But that starts when we are rightly aligned with God's word, relying upon God's power, committed to living out his mission. So my question is, does that describe you this morning? Are are you somebody who's living on mission? Has there been that point in your life where you've come into right relationship with God or are you still far from Him? And if so, what's keeping you from coming home to God? And believer, what's keeping you from living on mission every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, to make a difference? for here and for eternity. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Loving Father, we're so thankful for the moments together around your word. God, you are so wonderfully good to us. You are better than we deserve because what we deserve is death and hell. What we deserve is to be eternally separated from you, but Lord, in your loving kindness, you sent Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so, Father, this morning, as we have heard your word, we know now is our time to respond to your word in humble submission, surrender, obedience. For those among us who have never come home to God, who are far from you, we know that your invitation, your offer still stands, that Christ does receiveth sinful men, sinful women, And I pray, Lord, that you would draw us by the power of your spirit to new life, to belief, to hope, to faith, to trust in Jesus. For believers, God, I pray that you would use this word to motivate and mobilize us afresh and anew for mission, committed to living out the truth of your word in our lives every day, consecrated, dedicated, relying upon your power that we'll choose faith over fear Father we commit this invitation to you use it for your glory do business right here and right now we pray in Jesus name